Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Welcome to Cop On Podcast, you delectable khaki. My name's Owen, and I'm delighted, absolutely cock-a-hoop, to present you with this fruity episode in which we discuss Liverpool's zingy, tangy, marvellous win over Wolverhampton Wanderers that leaves us a whopping 13 points ahead in the Barclays Premier League We reminisce over a decade in the history of our beautiful club as well. And we look forward to Sheffield United on the 2nd of January. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Um, Absolutely terrific of you to do so. Without further ado, enjoy. Wow. Um, I'm joined by Robin, by Karen, by Jamie... Um, Liverpool have just beaten Wolverhampton Wanderers an hour ago was the final whistle and these are the, my favourite kind of wins I absolutely love these wins Liverpool now 10 wins in a row which is the most in Europe uh, and 50 league games unbeaten at home Robin, I'm going to start with you today and uh, we are the best team in the world and that was Beautiful. Um, that was a hard-fought win. Um, it was very good to see. I'm just glad there's another three points in the bank and and, and, and we roll again. Um, the stats just roll off. There's so many good things that we can say about how many points we've got or how well we've been in the year of 2019. Uh, but th- this was a tough win. You can see it's been a, a busy schedule for us last few weeks. Some of the players have looked a bit tired from both teams, to be honest. Um, but the team just turns up, produces a performance that gets another three points. Uh, we rode our luck a little bit sometimes. I think if Wolves had better finishing, they uh, we could have been in trouble. But I always felt as though if Liverpool really needed to, they can step up another couple of gears as well. Um, but uh, happy day so far. Just, I can't wait for the next uh, part of the season to start. And really excited to see what happens next. It's non-stop. Karen, how are you feeling with this? The joy of the Jurgenaut moving on, steaming through, punching the lights out of anyone who dares stand up to us. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it, it was is something, I've heard something interesting in the Leicester game that who can stop us now? And I, I really thought that in this game that Bulls had a good chance to stop us uh, from winning. Um, or at least secure a draw because they've had the uh, one of the best second halves uh, of the of the season, I guess, and it was a very tough game. Um, I I really expected that from Bulls, but I didn't expect with this intensity because I think both teams have played uh, two games in the span of 48 hours, so I I was expecting more like a bore nil nil draw. But um, it was it was good to see that uh, you know Wolves were were uh, you know fighting for at least a draw. It was it was an interesting game. It was really really nice. We shall we shall uh, take our knives to it and dissect it very very soon. Uh, but Jamie, I just want want to bring up something that we we were talking about just before recording. Um, Manchester City, who are playing now, they might be winning, they might not. We don't know. We got our priorities to correct to talk about the beautiful reds you said city are not our concern anymore they're not really are they yeah i stick by it i mean 
we're ruthless, we're efficient. This is the most fantastic time to be a red. Uh, we have so many options. We can impose ourselves on any other team. And I mean, City's heads have gone in a few recent games. Um, they're now like so many points behind us. And, you know, Leicester are good too. But as we showed earlier in the week, they're not as good as us. I mean, this is in our hands now and we need to stay calm. And the best part about it is it looks like the players are finding it much easier than us to stay calm and doing everything they need to do to get three points over and over again. And I'm incredibly confident now. I'll bounce this question back to you, Jamie. Um, Wolverhampton Wanderers, I was seeing uh, before the match on Twitter, I I made Twitter friends with a Harvard statistician showing that uh, Liverpool and Sheffield United both have actually a significant advantage because we had an extra day to recover compared to our opponents. Do you think Wolves suffered from fatigue? I mean, they they um, certainly they rotated a bit, didn't they, Jane? We played our 34th game this season and Wolves played their 32nd in all competitions. So having played so many games before Christmas and then asking a team to turn around in 45 hours is crazy. And look, we got the benefit this time, but there's a chance that we'll be the, the victims of this next time the fixture computer spits out the, the, the Christmas period. So, yeah, did Wolves suffer? I mean, they're a better team with Jimenez. They're a better team with Traore starting for them. And if they felt they couldn't start them, that definitely benefited us in the long run. Um, I think the league and the teams need to come together and find a solution to this. And if it's binning off the League Cup or if it's, you know somehow getting a winter break in there but asking players around Christmas to play two games in 45 hours is madness it is silly isn't it it is silly uh, but we stood up to the challenge when you saw the lineups Karen were you a little bit uh, relieved that Adama Traore didn't start and Raul Jimenez didn't start well I, I was worried because Jimenez is in my FPL team but uh Apart from that, I think I, I really expected Traore to start because um, I, I'm not sure that uh, if, if uh, you know, uh, I, I also expected uh, size to start as well, uh, probably at, you know, in, in one of the defense. But I think uh, the, it was a good lineup to start with. Um, but uh, I think never should have been given a rest. Uh, but yeah, it's okay. I mean, the, the lineup was really good. It was competitive. And after bringing Traore and uh, Jimenez in, I think it became more competitive. They became more physical. Um, and I think it was a really brave performance from us uh, to, you know, hold, hold them back and not allow them to score goals. Uh, I think the standout player for me was Vinagre. Um, I totally, I was only looking at him actually. Uh, especially in the second half because he gave uh, Trent some nightmares uh, towards the end of the game and Jimenez was being a little bit bullish but uh, yeah I think it's okay it's it's part of the game but um, I was happy with the lineup with our lineup as well and also with their lineup and I was expecting a competitive and uh, you know uh, a competitive game with a boring nil-nil draw but it, it, it really surprised me I mean they really gave it all and it was unfair to them, but I think it was a really good game with a good lineup. Great answer, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Vinagre, he was, uh, he had that shot that you know whistled wide towards the end, and yeah, you're right, he did turn Trent inside out a couple of times. 
Um, but uh, coming into our lineup, we had Lalana, um, and I thought he was terrific, Robin. What did you make of his performance, Adam Lalana, who I have, um, you know, insulted in the past, and I'm and I'm delighted to be wrong. What did you make of Lalana? Um, I thought he put in a very good shift today. Um, he was tidy. His tackling wasn't too bad. He was tenacious in midfield. He uh, gave support. He also pushed up a little bit. Um, the Lana Vold a little bit. You saw him on the right wing in the corner a few times trying to win the ball back and uh, played that neat passes, um, one-twos um, and third-man runs with Trent and uh, Salah. Uh, there's a couple of really good challenges he put in. His tackling was good, especially near uh, just before he got uh, subbed off um, at the uh, our corner post near uh, Trent, covering Trent, and he got a really good block in. Um, it, was a, it was a good performance, especially since Fabinho's been out. Um, so that's left a big responsibility on Jordan Henderson to make up and be the destroyer in our midfield. And him and Junior do it well, but, you, um, but Jordan Henderson's picked up most of that mantle. So Lalana coming in, in his new defined role this season, he's um, helped out um, the team a fair bit. And he's always good on the ball. His little turns, his, uh, his body movements when he opens up play, uh, shifts the play in uh, different directions. He doesn't need to touch the ball and he just uses the space very well to open up his vision uh, of uh, field of vision to play balls through. It opens the game up and extends that, um, the game onto each uh, of the flanks. So I thought he had a very good uh, performance. I, I did think near the end he was blowing a little bit. He was uh, he seemed a little bit tired. He covered a lot of grass on that pitch today and it was probably the right time to make the substitution to bring um, Naby on, but um, I thought it a very tidy game. It'd be sad to see him go at the end of the season. He's been a good servant to us, and I think the injuries just got the better of him. We didn't really get to see Lallana when uh, Klopp first came in, and he had that amazing run for England and for uh, Liverpool, but um, he's been a good servant, and uh, <clears throat> I think I think he deserves all the praise, and uh, I'm glad that he got to be part of this Liverpool squad, and he didn't leave before that. So, well done, mate. I'm happy for him. Yes, it, it's it, it's it's another excellent answer. Lalana is um, yes, probably towards the end of his Liverpool career, you would think, especially with Minamino coming in. But that's the kind of performance that you would want from Minamino, isn't it, Jamie? I mean, Adam Lalana, I thought he was great today uh, for his 65 minutes of contribution. Um, what did you think of him, Jamie? And did anyone else stand out for you? Um, I thought the line was decent. Um, he, particularly in the first half, and I think his energy just dropped off massively in the second half. Um, I really think you saw the, the gap in quality between him and a player like Kader, and also I think what we'd expect from Minamino when he comes in. I think there is like, for all that Lalana brings, he's a level below the kind of players that we that we aspire to have in our first team. Um, actually, I looked up a couple of his stats. His his passing accuracy was a good bit below the team average as well. Um, granted, he was playing further up the pitch than usual, but um, he was his passing accuracy was seventy nine percent to um, the team average of eighty six. So a little bit, you know, a little bit wasteful in possession at times. I felt. Um, the player who I thought really stood out, though, was Joe Gomez. I thought he was fantastic. He had some trouble even in, in the beginning with two quick strikers who really took the game to, to himself and, and Van Dyke. 
but he really made a lot of tackles. We saw his recovery pace quite a few times, and he won all of his ground duels today and only lost one aerial duel. And on top of that, he had 90% pass accuracy. So I thought he was probably the most dependable man on the pitch in red today. Yeah, that's a decent answer. Absolutely. Joe Gomez, I'm just looking up according to whoscored.com. He had two tackles, two interceptions, two clearances, uh, one blocked shot. Um, and he was generally, he was really good. I, I mean, I, I, I was making notes and uh, there were lots of Gomez stuff of brilliant defending. I love this kind of performance where, you know, it's about steel. It's about being steadfast and iron will. And as I said in my Blood Red review that I've just written, um, you know, this wasn't a leather-wieldingly dominant performance like we saw against Leicester, but it's classic. This is how we're grinding down the opposition. This is how we are winning this league, by doing enough, by fighting and giving everything we've got. It's beautiful to watch, Karen. Who stood out for you today? Yeah, uh, Gomez stood out for me. Uh, like it was mentioned earlier that with all his critical blocks and interceptions um, that he just made in the game, uh, his his pace was excellent um, to recover the ball and to clear the ball away from danger. And uh, those situations that I mentioned where Trent was caught out by Vinagre, I think uh, Gomez, if Gomez wasn't there, then I think we might have conceded a goal. But he was there at the right moment, at the right time, and, um, you know, it probably saved us uh, conceding a goal. Um, and apart from that, I think um, the the other player who stood out for me was uh, was Lalana. I think um, I think he had an excellent ex- excellent game. Uh, I think he did everything he could what he, he was asked to do. Um, I wish I could see more, but I think like you said, he's towards the end of his Liverpool career, and I think the, I see the reason why we bought. Minamino, and if I'm not wrong, I think Minamino is a mix of both Lana and Traore. So, um, if 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 I would like to see a Wolves play in a team next season or probably in January, I think it would be Vinagre because we need a cover for for Robertson. I would love to promote uh, Lewis, but or Leruzzi, but I think Vinagre stands out for me. Um, and apart from Gomez and Lalana. I think uh, Sadio Mane was uh, really great and he scored a crucial goal, giving us uh, the three points. And um, I thought he would be tired considering he had an excellent game against Leicester, but uh, he did pretty well. And these would be my three best players for the game tonight. Interesting stuff. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm going to add one into the into the list, and that's our captain, Jordan Henderson. Um, there's lots about his game that will never get into match of the day. Um, there's, you know, it's not about um, creating highlights, so to speak. He was playing as a deep midfielder today, but the way that he controlled things, you know, talk about our pass accuracy of. 86% that Jamie mentioned as a team. Um, the way that Jordan Henderson controlled the passing with one touch, two touch stuff and his pressing and his determination and the way that he told that 
doofus of a Manchester-born referee, Anthony Taylor, to piss off several times. Actually, I think he used the F word, which um, was, was, was heartening. He was running around. My favourite moment of the match was on 63 Minutes, if you get a chance to watch it, where he pressed about six Wolves players. He pressed them single-handedly and forced them from near near the edge of our box all the way back to, uh, you know, deep in their defence before they had to recycle their move. And it was just Henderson. He's a terrier. He's a wolf. He's a, he's a hound of hell on the heels of everybody. And I thought he was terrific. Um, is there anyone else that stood out for you, Robin? <laughs> I like the way you described Henderson there. He was good today. He's been good for the uh, last few months. I mean, he's always been good in my eyes. I've always been a big fan of Henderson. But the last few months, he's just stepped it up another notch. Um, you can see there's a quality on the ball when he gets it. Every time he gets the ball and he has a look up, you think, is, is he going to pull out one of his superstar passes? Um, and he's got the ability to do, do that. We're not surprised by his vision and his cutting pass, almost Gerard-esque. Like, um, and I'm also surprised by the number of games he's playing in quick succession. There was, it wasn't that long ago that we were a little bit worried, can, can Henderson make two games in a week? Um, knowing he's doing two games in a week, he's putting in a very high quality standard of football two games in a week as well. Um, so he's He leads by example as well. He puts in the shift that shows a passion and determination on the pitch and the rest of the team just have to follow. Um, he also doesn't allow people to boss him around. He's uh, fierce on the ball. I remember in the last match against Leicester, there was a, there was a point earlier on where he made a crunching tackle and the commentator today made a, um, a remark about he, he has to let the opposition know that he's not going to be bullied around. And if anything, uh, Henderson is going to be the one that's going to impose his superiority on the game. And that's nice to see. We don't always think of Henderson like that as a uh, bullish figure. But he he absolutely is. He's, he's terrific. And I'm so proud of him, the way he's carried that mantle from Gerard and he's led the team. The, you can see the players respect him. Uh, VVD was full of praise for him after the last game. And today he just carried it on, just, just led by example. I was a little bit worried when he was... Um, uh, injured and had to come off the pitch last game, um, hoping for something not serious. And it's great to see him start lining up today. His all-round performance is good. And he's now shown this season and the end of last season, he shows he's not just a deep-line midfielder, he's an all-round midfielder. And he's still got a great engine. He's, he just runs and runs and runs. He covers so much of that pitch. Um, I, I love the guy. He's such a good player for us. Um, as for any other players, I would agree with uh, both Jamie and Karen. I thought Joe Gomez was superb today. I would have given him the man of the match. Um, the television um, channel that I watched gave it to Trent. But Joe Gomez, um, the stats that Jamie read out was uh, excellent. Um, he, he won so many of his duels and he covered the right side so well. And um, if it weren't for him, I think we would have been in uh, trouble. I thought um, Van Dyke, he was good. Um, not as good as he usually is, but it's still 9 out of 10. He's better than most defenders in the league, even when he's not uh, shining as the best uh, defender. He's He may had five aerial duels. He won all of them. Um, he had a passing accuracy of 80, um, 84%, which is not bad. Uh, I think that's near the average. And he won nearly all his duels. He's just calming. I think he's... Um, his ability to take the ball down in the air and not just head it back into open play, he just directs that pass 
with his head and just retains position and recycle it and off we go again. I think in the first half, um, uh, Joe Gomez and Van Dijk saw a lot of the ball and you always feel reassured with both of them today that um, we're, we're in control. I think the first half was easy for us, albeit a little bit slow, but um, I think those two were probably my best players, along with um, Henderson and Lalana, as we mentioned. Great stuff. Yeah, great answer. Um, absolutely. I was just looking at some stats for for Jordan Henderson. Um, he had 95 touches. Uh, and when you compare it to, to Jeannie Wijnaldum, who, who had a quiet game, let's be honest, he had only 62 touches in the match. Although Jeannie's touches were, you know, as usual, in general, terrific. Uh, Jordan Henderson had 88.4% passing accuracy. Uh, defensively, he had three tackles. One interception, one clearance, one blocked shot. What a captain's performance. And offensively, he had one key pass as well, um, which is, you know, from a defensive midfielder's point of view, is excellent. Um, you know, the stats people uh, on whoscored.com, they gave the man of the match to, to Trent with 114 touches, the most in the team, with six defensive clearances, which is true when you think about it. Lots of Wolves play out wide where they put in some dangerous balls. Trent covered really well at the back post, at the near post. He did well to clear. Um, so, yeah, he was the man of the match. But I thought they were all, you know, what we were lacking in in uh, cutting edge at the top of the pitch you know Bobby Firmino what not his best game although he was still good um you know we 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 made up for in spades with this this gnarliness uh it's just terrific it's just beautiful wonderful play um it's I mean our first chance was after three minutes uh, Mohamed Salah dancing uh, through their defence, but then he, he, you know, he 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 blazed over the bar after the beautiful pass by Trent. That was one of his two key passes today. Uh, Jamie Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino, um, apart from Mane, who Karen already mentioned, not their best day at the office. No, it wasn't their best day at the office. I think we were wasteful in the final third um Firmino in particular there were two moments where he could have one put Salah through and another squared the ball to to Robertson and he decided to have a shot instead and I think you can see it's weighing on him slightly that he hasn't scored at Anfield yet this season I think he's desperate to do so um I hope he does so soon for him but usually he's so accurate and selfless in his passing it was uh a bit surprising to see that. Um, Salah as well, I feel he didn't play badly. He didn't really get much service. Um, and, and that's probably why he maybe could have scored that one he put over the bar in the first 10 minutes or so. But uh, overall, it was really a game where, like you said, Henderson and the back four were the stars. And as ever, we did what we needed to do to win the game. But definitely not one where we'll look at our fantastic front three and and think that they had their their best game ever that said Mane's finish was brilliant instinctive perfectly placed and everything that we needed at that time absolutely and that brings me on to VAR Jamie staying with you um two big calls in the first half and 
For me, they were both correct. At last, we have suffered at the hands of Anthony Taylor many times in the past, but this system is there to to right the wrongs, and in seasons gone past, we would go into go into the, the tunnel at half-time, one goal down. Instead, we were quite rightly one goal up. What did you reckon of VAR? I think VAR today showed where it can be perfect. It overturned a clear effort, a clear error from a bad referee, um, and that's what it can do. It can take the inconsistency or bias, whatever you want to call it, out of the hands of refs like Taylor. Um, the second one, I get it. It's correct the, per the system. Um, we've been on the end of good and bad ones. I mean, we had goals against Watford and Villa ruled out for, for these armpit calls. But there's part of me that just feels like there must be a margin of error somewhere in this technology. And if it's so close, maybe the FA just need to say that we go with the call on the field because those goals, they're sickening when they're just loud for your team. I know it went in our favour, but I just can't say I'm in favour of that Wolves goal being disallowed. Well, OK, but what about um, what about this? OK, if you look at Zaha's one and Pukki's one from uh, yesterday as we're recording this, and then you look at uh, Wolves' uh, offside today, um, you can see by their feet that both Zaha and the Wolves player, I'm not even sure who it was, sorry, but their feet were marginally offside. Marginally, we're talking centimetres, but you can actually see it very clearly, assuming that the line is correct. And let's assume that that yellow line that they use for offsides is correct. Then you can see there's not much in it. There's there's like a big toe or, you know, maybe even, you know, half of half a foot in it. But they're clearly offside. The the ones I have a problem with are Pookie's one from yesterday and Bobby Firmino's one for, from earlier in the season when it's the upper body that comes into effect. Can we change it just simply so that it's done by the feet and then you can see their boots on the line if it's offside or not? Is that one solution, Jamie? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, the issue is with these incredibly close ones is that People are complaining, A, about the spirit of the game or the spirit of the law when it was first introduced, but VAR is trying to apply the law as it's written, and maybe that's what needs to change. Something where these upper body armpit offsides don't count anymore, like Firmino's one, which was particularly egregious, I'd be very happy to see that eradicated. Um, and then when it comes to this, this yellow line, I mean, we're talking about, is the frame perfect is that the moment the ball left the foot is the frame rate fast enough to go at the speed of the game is the yellow line perfectly placed and that's what i meant by when it's so close and there must be a margin of error somewhere where we're not a hundred percent and that's what the technology is meant to give us so the, the fa or the the referees organization can't guarantee the call is a hundred percent then they need to do something where either they make a rule change like you suggest or if it's going to be within what they what this kind of margin of error is, just leave it with the decision on the field. Well, that's a very reasonable answer. What did you make of it, Karen? Um, I think uh, VAR hasn't been really successful in the Premier League so far. It's got its flaws in this league, but I think it's quite successful in the other leagues per se. 
and um, this this technology is available to us so that we we can make uh, the right calls uh, that the calls that are uh, clearly not visible uh, you know to the referees or even the the linesmen um, and I think that uh, talking about uh, the Pukis uh, disallowed goal and even Zaha's goal and uh, even Firmino's disallowed goal uh, in that example I think um, the, these are some of the cases that uh, you know makes you think that maybe VAR shouldn't even be introduced to the Premier League but uh, the problem is that uh, like uh, it was just pointed out that those those frames those lines that uh, uh, the people at uh, the VAR room, uh, you know, do all of that. Um, I think that that's one of the huge mistakes because uh, they're not sure where exactly to place the line, which part of the body is is offside, and uh, which part is onside. Um, so I think if if these flaws can be corrected, um, I think VAR can can be continued next year. And also, I think having screens on the field where referees would have a final say uh, will also be advantageous because um, if, if you recall that there are some some decisions that, uh, you know, the VAR have made incorrect decisions. And if the referee had, had have had a chance to look at them, then maybe, uh, you know, those decisions can be overturned. VAR is not there to rule over referee's decision. It is there to assist in making uh, difficult decisions. So um, I think uh, Zaha's goal should have been uh, allowed. Uh, Puki's goal should have been allowed. Um, I think even Firmino's goal should have been allowed. And th there were several cases uh, where goal should have been allowed, but it was disallowed. Um, and um, I think that uh, they're going to introduce uh, limb technology where they're going to check uh, if the the parts of uh, if uh, the players limbs are actually onside or offside and that will assist in making such these crucial decisions but I'm not sure when will it will they uh, will it be introduced but if it is introduced I'm not sure if it is successful or not because VR itself is really not successful so uh, I'm curious to know what's next limb technology Blimey, I don't know how many, I don't know if I'm comfortable using fruit metaphor, but the world's going bananas, isn't it, Robin? What's your take on VAR? Um, both made a very good point. Um, I think, uh, as Jamie said, there has to be a level of um, uh, acceptance that there was going to be a small error or a small margin of error because it's, it's, a, it's a piece of technology an application that we're still perfecting. It's not the finished article yet. Uh, most of Europe have had a one-year head start on us as well. Um, and we will get better. Each day technology uh, grows and becomes more efficient and faster and more accurate. And we will get there. I do like the idea of limb technology or if it's the same thing like a vest that uh, players wear that they can be tracked in real time to see the position on the field along with sensors or if there's microchips in footballs that you can see exactly the moment that um, the ball's been kicked to check the offside there's lots of different ways we can perhaps progress it a lot more than perhaps what I can think of with my limited brain but I think we will get better with the technology and mentioned that it's not successful there's been lots of decisions that's gone the right way there's um, that perhaps wouldn't have been a goal or would have gone 
in a way that's not correct. So there's been many decisions which were accurate. I think we highlight those um, scenarios and situations where a team has been agreed by very narrow calls and um, like those three that we mentioned with uh, Palace, uh, uh, Norwich and with our armpit goals, uh, we feel agreed because we feel as though it's too close to call. And if it is something that you can measure with the feet and you can draw a line on the grass to see exactly if a player is onside or offside, it's easier. But the upper body is a little bit harder to track. And I think perhaps we need a mindset change of to understand there is going to be a small uh, judgment of error. And unfortunately, that's what gives us some of the talking points. We can try and be clinically perfect, but I just don't think we've got the knowledge, the know-how and the application to do that yet. Fingers crossed that will improve year on year. The technology used in football now is miles better than what it was 10 years ago or even five years ago. So there is hope that we'll, we'll get there. But if we continue playing the way we're doing and, and we do the business without VAR, then it's irrelevant. But I, I know it's not. It's more consolation for teams like uh, Wolves today. They, they feel that it's been hard done by. But I don't know what the next answer is um, how to make it better I don't see us going back to playing football without VA now now that's been introduced um, around the world so it has to be something we've got to embrace and use it and trying to make it better Um, goal line technology was an easy introduction because it's it gives you a visual of the balls cross the line or not but Hawkeye in itself is a prediction of where the ball's going to go so in cricket when when Hawkeye is used, if the wick has been used, um, it's not 100% accurate, but it's the best that they, that we've got and it's accepted that this will have to do. And it's a combination of refereeing on the pitch and using the best technology we have to get the best possible answer we can. Um, I think we just got to go with it and accept it. Another very interesting answer. Very, very interesting stuff. You could see how it divides opinion between four of us on Cop On Podcast today, and probably you at home, you've got your own ideas. Belimey, it's a minefield. Let's steer away from it a little bit then. Let's get back to the match itself and the heroes of today, uh, our defence. Virgil van Dijk, it was his 100th beautiful appearance as a beautiful central defender for beautiful Liverpool. Um, his record, according to the a uh, great Andrew Beasley, who needs a statue himself. Um, Virgil has now played a hundred games. We have won seventy-two of them. Oh, we've drawn fifteen. We've lost only twelve. We've scored two hundred and twenty-five goals, and we have conceded eighty-three. Um, Forty-three clean sheets. Ten goals five assists and now you know something we will get on to talking about as well is the fact that it's the end of the decade this is the last uh cop on podcast of the year and of the decade wow um is he the signing of the decade jamie for you because he is for me absolutely 100 percent the signing of the decade um some signings this decade have come in They've made an immediate impact that can lift the team to another level, uh, thinking Suarez particularly, but Virgil's another level. He's an incredible athlete. He's an elite performer. Um, but not only does he has his have his performance has been exceptional 
but he has that rare gift where anyone who plays in his proximity seems to reach their best levels for the club. Um, I'm talking about any of his centre-back partners. Uh, Andy Robertson's definitely benefited from it. Um, but even Fabinho Henderson, I mean, the effect he has through this team, he's a second captain without an armband on his shirt. And his record, I think, will only keep getting better because he is the best player in his position in the world now. And I can't see that dropping off for the next few years in any case. It's just lovely to have him in our team. Um, It's like getting home after a long jog and your bed is there and somebody's made a hot water bottle for you. Uh, and it's cold outside, but it's just lovely as you slide into bed after getting home. You have a shower, you get into bed, and the hot water bottle is there. That's Virgil van Dijk, Karen. What does he mean to you? Uh, well, I, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine who used to play futsal back at the university. Um, we were discussing possible centre-backs that Liverpool should sign in order to improve a defence. And he uh, he made a strong case for Virgil van Dijk. Um, and he kept saying that there's something about him that makes me uh, want to sign. If I was a manager for Liverpool, I would sign him in, in instantly. Um, it, he, he made a very strong case, and I can see the reason why. Um, I think he's, he's, he's the best uh, player in the position that he's playing in, in the world. And um, I, I'm really grateful to have that conversation uh, with my friend uh, back then. And uh, yeah, I'm really impressed with him. I'm really happy that we signed him. And um, uh, as it's, it was mentioned earlier, that it, he, I, I don't see any reason why his levels would drop off in, in years to come. He's, uh, there's more to improve. Obviously, he's not perfect. Uh, no one is perfect, but um, he he can he will only improve his game and uh, you know be more consistent. Um, uh, and other players that you know uh, that stood out for me in this decade, one of them was Luis Suarez. I think he's he was lethal, and Gerard had such a beautiful time with him when he was here. Um, yeah, and special mention goes to players like Fabinho and Trent, um, the players they are right now, Robertson as well, Alisson, Mane as well. So I think um, there, there are several players that, that we have signed um, in, in this decade that have really played amazing and have, uh, have gone on to improve to massive new levels. Um, and I'm really excited to see what's what's in the next decade for us. That's a brilliant answer, Karen. And yes, let's all reminisce about this incredible decade that we've been on. I'll give you some context. Our very first match of the decade was on Saturday, the 2nd of January, 2010 at 17.15 or 5.15 p.m. for those without a military background. Robin, we played Reading and our line-up that day, we had Pepe Reina in goal. This is in the FA Cup, by the way. We had Pepe Reina in goal, Fabio Aurelio, Emiliano Insua, they both played, Jamie Carragher, Stephen Darby, Martin... 
Skirtle, excuse me, Martin Skirtle, Stephen Gerrard, Lucas Lever, Fernando Torres, Dirk Kaut and David Ungog. That was our starting eleven. Quite strong, you might think. But we drew away to Reading 1-1. And there's something that, I don't know, it's hard to put into, you know, to keep your memory fresh with everything. Our manager was Rafa Benitez, but he was very much beleaguered. And there's a really brilliant match uh, review by Ian Doyle from The Echo. And I'll just read you a little bit of this one. Then I'll go to you, Robin, about your thoughts of how far we've come. Ian Doyle's verdict. This is from the amazing LFChistory.net. Do check it out. The article goes, according to Ian Doyle, it was a moment of dark humour on a day when there was once again precious little to smile about for Liverpool FC. As the media gathered in the aftermath of what was a frantic FA Cup third round encounter with Reading, talk gravitated around the championship side having earned a lucrative replay. Hang on countered one wag. Surely it should have been the other way round. Let's face it, Liverpool could do with the money. Wow. Robin, that's what state we were in on the 2nd of January 2010. Do you remember that? Have you blocked it out? And how glorious is it to be here on top of the world, on top of the cherry on top of the cake with the great view of the icing and even beyond the icing to the table and we can look back at how far we've come oh the what great little except there i actually remember the game very well um very very well um and i actually really enjoyed that game not because of the reason that it was a um, good match or not. Um, I was actually on holiday uh, with my good missus in New York and for the Christmas time. And I needed, um, I really wanted to watch this match. I didn't want to miss a match. And eventually Googled and found a fan pub bar where a lot of Liverpool fans apparently watched the game. It wasn't as easy to find a Liverpool match there. And I found this uh, little bar um, just off uh, Times Square. And I didn't know what to go and expect, a small little 32-inch TV and about five people crowded around it. And instead, I went there and it was probably about 200 people in there. And all with Liverpool fa- uh, scarves and shirts and uh, all singing Liverpool songs, people from across the world. And I felt amazed that I was standing there with strangers from Japan and Kenya and Uruguay. And all of us were singing You Never Walk Alone. And that sense of a family um, was amazing. So my experience of that match was brilliant because it, it showed me Liverpool in a new light, in a glo- in the first time in the global stage that I personally experienced rather than watching it on TV. As a game, I haven't got a clue what happened in the game. It was boring. It was really rubbish. And that team that you read out, um, it, it, just, it just shows that there's a few people that we kind of forget about. Uh, obviously not. Gerard and um, Carragher and Reina and a few others, but um, they don't leave, the others don't leave a lasting memory of what Liverpool, I mean, they're, you know, they're forgettable compared to the team that we have now. Um, I think you recently put a message out, uh, Owen, about some of the players that we have in the first 11, how many of them are world-class. Most of the positions are covered by world-class players that we have at the moment that we 
going to find it very hard to forget. Um, Van Dyke included, he's just amazing. You mentioned about the best um, signing of uh, the decade. I I'd put my money to uh, Van Dyke as well. Um, for a player to instantly improve somebody so quickly, as other guys have mentioned, Van Dyke is there, and as um, Jamie rightly puts, he makes everybody around him better. Not just the defense, the midfield, and the keeper as well. He just made them all better. Um, so that is a long way that we've come from where we've started from and I'm glad that we've seen this journey because it makes you appreciate the team that we have a bit more we've been there and we've gone through some tough periods and dark moments with Liverpool and had to endure some horrible tepid football and now it's just it's, it's the it's the reward that we're getting and the, for the dues that we paid for this team and we can in a way sympathize with some of the other teams that perhaps fallen from grace because we know what it's like. So although we're enjoying it, we know how much pain other teams are going through. And we just want to make sure that we can stay at this level and rediscover and reinvent ourselves to keep there for a, a long dynasty, which some of the other clubs have enjoyed. But this this team is something else. It's the best of my lifetime. And I'm th- and I always worry that this bubble's going to burst one day because I, I, I doubt that I'll see a better, not Liverpool side, I, I doubt that I'll see a better footballing side in my lifetime. It's I've only The only team I can compare it to as good as this is probably the great Barcelona team of a few years ago. But this is just a completely new way of playing football that I've never seen before and, I, and, and I'm loving it. Well, that's a fantastic answer. I, I would say we're a bit more comparative comparable to Arrigo Saki and the and the fantastic Milan team just for the state of the fact that we've got the these brilliant defenders and this strong this muscle this this you know as i said before the juggernaut um Jamie um uh or 9 years ago at the start of the decade um the 29th of December 2010 uh Liverpool played Wolverhampton Wanderers at Anfield, we had a lineup that day of Pepe Reina, uh, Glenn Johnson at right back, Kiergiakos, Skirtle, and Kunchewski making up the back four. We had Mareles, Gerard, Lucas Lever, and Dirk Kout, and it was one of the last games I think of Fernando Torres and David and Gog. Uh, that team is a bag of shite. And it was managed by Roy Hodgson. I mean, obviously, without you know, with the exception of a couple of players, Gerard. Uh, but uh, you know, Torres had had lost all of his uh, his mojo by then. And Jamie, it's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, what? Remember the Hodgson? I mean, debacle. Do you remember that? And to go from there to here, it's extraordinary. One of the most depressing facts about all of this is the last time I actually managed to get to Anfield. Um, the joys of being a, a supporter from abroad uh, was during the Hodgson era. And it was around that time, it was um, December, and we beat Fulham 1-0 with a duck out goal, but it was miserable. Um, you really got the feeling it was the last chance you were going to see Torres play. Um, I don't think I realised it would be so long before I got back to Anfield in any case. But we've come a long, 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 long way. Um, the the fact that we had players like Leva and Gerard stick with the you know stick with liverpool probably helped us keep our head above water in those those dark days but you know from having you know what was then the nesv by us out at the beginning of the next year and 
getting Dalgleish in, feeling a little spark of happiness for the first time in a long time through the, the Rogers era and now to where we are now. It's been a, a long struggle to get to where we are, but it makes this success all the sweeter. Um, and now, you know, I just can't wait to see what the next decade will bring because I think it could be back to the unbearable Liverpool winning the title again and again. And I have so much confidence in Klopp. I have so much confidence in this young team and also in the structures that the club have put in place. Um, you know, whether it's the new stadium or developing the Annie Road end, uh, the Nike kit deal, I think we're in good hands. We're on a great trajectory and I can't see this bubble bursting anytime soon. We are in great hands, aren't we, Karen? I mean, um, NESV, as they were called back then, New England Sports Ventures, took over uh, actually before that Wolves game, Jamie. It was uh, October the 15th, 2010. And they have been so smart. What do you make of them, Karen, our, our, our fantastic owners? Um, yeah, I think as Jamie pointed out that, uh, you know, we are on the right track. Um, uh, I think the Hudson era was, I think it was really painful to watch. And um, we, we weren't really making profits. The club was, you know, uh, being more in debt. So I think it was it was really painful to see how will the club really, uh, you know, improve. And it's it's really amazing to see how we have gone on from that phase to where we are now. And it, it's only an upward trajectory. Um, there might be a few ups and downs, of course, but we are on the we are on the right track. We are on the upward trajectory. And yeah, with Klopp signing an extension, I think it's it's amazing news for us. I'm happy with the the young kids playing really well for a team. Trent winning the European Cup at such a young age is, is a massive boost for him um, and as well as uh, for the club and, and the city of Liverpool. So, yeah, this this decade has, has been great. Some parts of it were, were really sad, but I think the, the rest of it was really great. And uh, I'm, I'm expecting, like Jamie said, that, you know, uh, we might experience Liverpool winning the league again and again. And, um, you know, with the developments going on at the tra- new training complex, uh, Nike deal. So, yeah, I think uh, these these sort of, you know, improvements or changes will, will only help us uh, to get better and, uh, you know, make us more consistent and uh, improve as we as we go years down the lane. Fantastic stuff. Um of uh, <clears throat> Jurgen Klopp uh, was uh, was appointed latterly by uh, FSG. Um, before that, I mean, they they took over when Hodgson was in charge. Um, they got rid of him pretty smartish. They brought in Kenny Dalglish, of course, and then Brendan Rodgers, of course, and then Klopp. With the benefit of hindsight, Robin, what did you make of Kenny Dalglish's return? I thought. I thought he did brilliantly. I think he's I think he's underrated his performance, but I don't know. Am I am I sullied by romantic notions? Um Kenny Dalglish will always be a legend, so whatever he does is always going to be good. I did find the team that he had inherited wasn't a superb team, so he tried to get the best out of what he had. Um but it's you can see, you can sense he's He's of an era of management 
where they did things differently. The managers now are very progressive. They're very forward-thinking. Um, it's a it's a it's a completely different ball game. I think he did well. Ken Douglas did well to steady the ship. His enthusiasm, his his aura around Anfield helped uh, stabilize Liverpool, and he got another trophy for us as well. Um, but uh, I think as a short-term gap, it was okay. He'll always have a special place in the hearts of all Liverpool fans. Um, but I'm glad that we've got Klopp now um, and Ambassador that can wish is always going to be great for the club. I think the quality of football at the time was hit and miss. Sometimes we were great, sometimes we weren't. I remember one of the earliest, earlier games we played against Arsenal and I think young Jack Robinson uh, played and Flanagan and they were superb and um, we won that game quite late on. That was a brilliant match um, that uh, Kenny Douglas got the team wired up for. Um, and we had a, a few good games in there, but also I think he had to manage some of the drug rubbish that Hodgson left behind. And um, it, some of the games were a bit boring and a bit difficult to watch. Um, but it makes the team that we have now even better for us to have endured that. But I think it's done well. And I would like to see, um, for his sake and for some of the other Liverpool legends' sake, um, Anfield to return home with the Premier League trophy. Um, it feels a bit harsh that the last time we won it, that it was with him at the helm. Um, so hopefully we can we can do him proud. Uh, yes, uh, sorry to step in. I just I would I would like to add one thing. Um, I, I really felt that King Kenny should have had more time in the dugout. Um, but uh, the way that the game has improved over the years with the with the technology, with the resources, the statistics and everything, the game is more tactical advanced, tactically advanced and strategy uh, is completely different to what it was before if you compare. So um, I think the time that Kenny had in the dugout was phenomenal. He did everything right and I, I really wish that he had more time uh, to manage the club, um, but yeah, I think uh, currently, if if he was if he was a manager with the resources and uh, with the technology in hand, I think he would still do a fantastic job. So, uh, if if he's still open to it, then he can always come back. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. He also wasn't helped by Damian Comoli uh, and those signings uh, that you know, especially Downing. Uh, Adam, uh, Henderson and Carroll. Um, Henderson, of course, has gone on to be the captain of probably the greatest Liverpool team ever, or at least it's, it's up there. Um, but uh, So that was a fantastic... That could not have gone better in hindsight, that signing, but the others, yes. It was... Uh, unfortunately, they trusted the wrong guy, I think. Uh, but uh, I thought Kenny Douglas... Well, the, the reason why I'm, I, I will never... You know, like you, Karen, I, I think he should have been given more time was that he united the fan base when we just come out of such a dark couple of years um, and he got us to two finals and we were pretty much in a relegation battle under Roy Hodgson. And he uh, said uh, quite famously in an interview that you could still find online with the Daily Telegraph that Liverpool is not too big a club to you know to avoid going down like we we're not too big for a relegation battle i think were his words and that is still i don't know that's just confusingly 
weird thing to say uh, because we're way too big we're European royalty we're now the kings of the world and now where we are is we're heading into a Sheffield United match with well Robin alluded to it earlier how many players do you think are world class truly world class and by world class I mean in the top three in the world in their position Okay, let's think about this. So, Alisson, obviously, top three goalkeepers in the world. Sure. Trent, obviously. Virgil, obviously. Robbo, obviously. Uh, in midfield, I would say Fabinho, uh, Jeannie Vinaldum as well. And uh, top three in the world, I, I don't know, for Henderson, because you have Kante, you have Kevin De Bruyne. Um, he might be fourth so I'm going to leave Henderson out of that list for now although he's been world class in the last few performances um, and then up front Salah top three in the world uh-huh Bobby uh-huh and Sadio uh-huh so it's pretty much all of our first 11 JB uh, with the uh, possibility of Oxlade Chamberlain and Cater joining them um, and we've got Jurgen Klopp as a manager and where we are now going into the Sheffield United match is just ram-packed, ram-a-jam-a-jim-jonged with extraordinary, extraordinary talent and managed by the best manager in the world and Sheffield United might be good but we're better uh, as long as we keep going and we don't get cocky is that right Jamie? It's been fascinating to see what Chris Wilder has done with Sheffield United. They're a good team. They're well organised. They they attack well. They're full of great Irish players, which is always always makes me happy. But no, we're we're a better side than them. We're a better side than than any other team in the league at this stage. It's it's just a question of making sure, as the players have done, and like I said earlier, they're much calmer than we are. That every game is approached in the correct way. That as we've done so often this season. We work a team out, we frustrate them, we stifle them, we score our goals, and we really don't give them a look-in. And I think that'll be the same with Sheffield United, and I honestly think that'll be the same, you know, going through this season. We have so many world-class players. I'd probably add Robertson. I don't think there's a better left-back than him um, at the moment. So I really think that the question is almost how are we going to win this league? Are we looking at the the Arsenal Invincibles? Are we looking at you know setting a new records point total? And I don't think it's beyond possibility. We have such a great side that this could go down in history as the best team to have ever been you know ever played in the Premier League with the best results. You know an unbeaten season where unlike Arsenal who drew about fifteen games in theirs, you know you you end up in the the triple digits for points. It would be the undisputed best team in the the history of the Premier League. Can I just add to that? Um, if if we do win it um, by triple points and we beat Man City's total, nobody could have thought at that time when Man City were dominating the Premier League a couple of seasons ago that this could ever be bettered. And we're on course now, not just to better it, to smash that record and set it so high that it's unlikely to ever be beaten. And I have so many um, Arsenal fans that are shitting their pants about us going the whole season undefeated like this because the one thing that they can hold on to at the moment is they've got this amazing record where um, they, they call the Invincibles 
Um, so if they're the Invincibles with 15-odd draws, what would that make this Liverpool team if they're to go that ahead? But it, I don't know if that's being greedy, thinking that far ahead. We just want to concentrate on winning the league. But if we do win the league, are we going to drop off? As in, are we going to relax and let the foot off the pedal? Or are we going to keep going? Are we going to start resting some of our players and concentrating on the Champions League? Because it um, depends on when and if we win it early enough. Um, there's lots of things to take into consideration. I just don't know what to expect. What do you, what do you guys all think? Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. We've got the possibility to do all that stuff and uh, create something that has never been created before. Um, I think it's worth dreaming like that and it's worth believing that we can do that. I just can't bring myself to think along those lines yet because I'm just thinking purely that we need 42 more points to guarantee winning the league. 42 more points and there are nine. Uh, the, the position we are in is superb, but those are the lines that I'm thinking along, is I'm just absolutely desperate. I crave this league title more than I crave donuts at 4pm when I've got a cup of coffee in my hand. Karen, what do you think of it all? Where is this season going for you? How are you thinking about it? I'm thinking I will only focus solely on Champions League in, in Feb when we face Atletico Madrid. I'm pretty sure that by March at least we'll, we'll have an idea uh, that how many exactly points would we need uh, to win the league. And we can plan the uh, uh, the rest of the Premier League in such a way that we achieve the target whilst we concentrate on the Champions League. Um, so before the next, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure we're gonna we're gonna qualify for the next round by beating Atletico, um, and then we can we can we can even plan uh, the squad for the Champions League. We can have like a like a fixed squad for the Premier League. You know, give more games to Shaq. Uh, and e even Lana uh, in in that matter. So uh, the way I see that, uh, the way I see it is that I just I just want to see two more months of uh, you know Premier League action, and we we secure enough points so that we can exactly figure out how many more we need for the rest of the season, uh, because uh, currently we really have a healthy lead. Uh, over Leicester City and Manchester City, but uh, as we are aware of it, that even a healthy lead is not enough. Um, we've experienced that last year by losing out uh, by just one point. So, uh, not to sound overconfident, but I think uh, Klopp will definitely uh, plan the rest of the season, uh, probably in in early early days of March, and I th I think I see it the same way. Well, it's a very interesting answer, but I'll just uh, bring up something. You know, the, the kind of article I'm looking at, they have titles like Why the League Isn't Over. And, and this is an article on 90minutes.com uh, from the 5th of February 2017, when there were just 14 games left to play and Chelsea were, you know, looking a sure thing for the title. That's what it says in this article and they did indeed win it um, but you know it's why it isn't over with just 14 games left to play and they've got a sort of countdown of the five biggest comebacks 
in history. And the one that caught my eye was actually number two. I mean, uh, Arsenal in 1997-98. There were nine games left to play and Manchester United were 11 points ahead. And somehow they managed to throw it away. And if there's anything that uh, history can teach us is to not make the same mistakes. And I don't know what the heck happened to Manchester United that season. I've blocked it out of my memory, but I do remember uh, Tony Adams with the um, Premier League trophy with a young-looking Arsene Wenger. And, you know, these are the kind of things that are keeping me up at night. And then not only that, but they're waking me up at six in the morning with the heebie-jeebies. I don't know. Um, I'm still anxious. I will be anxious until we see Hendo do the grooviest of uh, Hendo shuffles that anybody's ever seen. It's going to be the best one ever. But until it happens, I can't count any chickens. I can't count any animal whatsoever. Um, Yes. Jamie, am I just too anxious? Yes, Owen. Enjoy it. Relax into this. We are... The best team in the world and we're going to win the league and i'm so happy and so excited for henderson um i think after we beat leicester 4-0 i got very emotional um i don't know what i'm going to be like come may if you know it's not even 2020 and i'm so excited and happy and you know i could cry for these guys now um so i've got to survive another five months which is going to be tough but at least I've got you and, and the rest of the cop on crew to, to keep me sane. Um, the reason I'm so confident isn't because I think we're ar- it's it's not arrogance. It's just I don't think Jurgen Klopp lets this team drop their concentration, their training levels, their approach to the game, or his coaching staff allow that. And as we've said, we have world-class players in every position. But it's almost infeasible to me that the standards of this football club can drop in the next five months to the extent where, you know, Hendo's not doing a shuffle with the with the old big with the Premier League trophy come me. Well it's beautiful stuff. I don't know about staying sane. I go nuts every single match, but I am enjoying it just uh, for the record. I am absolutely loving it, especially victories like today. It's 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 smashing stuff. Um, have you got any predictions for Sheffield United? Uh, can we come a cropper? We're playing them on the 2nd of January at Anfield. I think we'll be in good shape. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Minamino makes the bench or the matchday squad or if Klopp gives him a bit of time to see what we're about, get through some training sessions before he, he drops him in. But I think that you know we have an extra day to recover, which, as we've discussed earlier, is a big advantage. I think they've had a tough game today. I mean, they lost, it was 2-0 last time I checked and I'm pretty sure it probably ended something similar to that. So they've got to come back from that 2-0 defeat. They've got to come to Anfield. And even though they're a very good team and we'll have to work hard to beat them, I'm confident that that we've got more than enough to see them off. Yes, uh, well, yeah, very interesting you say that. I mean, looking at their last results, it has finished Manchester Manchester City to Sheffield United nil. Um, so Pep gets to keep his job another week. Um, but uh, looking at their 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 past uh, seven fixtures, 
including Man City. Um, <clears throat> on the 1st of December, excuse me, frog in my throat, Wolverhampton Wanderers drew 1-1 with Sheffield United. Then Sheffield United lost to Newcastle United. Sheffield United were at home. They lost 2-0. The next match they went away to Norwich and they won 2-1. Great result. The next result uh, was 2-0 for Sheffield United against Aston Villa. You would expect that looking at the league table, but uh, two promoted teams again. Uh, Sheffield United came out on top. The next result's very impressive, I think. They went away to Brighton and they won 1-0 on the 26th of December. They played Watford and they drew 1-1. Sheffield United were at home. And that's Watford's new manager, Bounce, with the human pigeon. Um, he's doing a fantastic job. Congratulations to him. And then, of course, uh, the last match was today. Man City 2, Sheffield United 0. Robin, are, are you worried about this? Or, you know, thinking about that? I mean, maybe they'll be more tired than usual, having been halfway through the Premier League season now, their first Premier League season in ages. No, I'm not worried. Um, there's nothing to suggest from this Liverpool team that we need to be worried about, especially with Anfield. They'll give us a tough match. And I do remember when we played them away, that was a very difficult game and we were quite fortunate with the goal that um, Henderson, the keeper, let slip underneath. Um, but I think Anfield were a little bit different. The crowd gets behind uh, the team. There's a different sense of energy there. Um, and we've been a little bit, I don't know if we want to call it lucky, we played Sheffield United now. That'll be three games that we've played an opposition straight after the Man City game. So that's with um, Leicester, Wolves and then Sheffield United. So the Sheffield United match today against Man City, that 2-0. Uh, Man City has 73% possession. So that probably means that there was a lot of running around and chasing and covering gaps for Sheffield United. So they'll be pretty tired um, from that match. And coming, having to come to Anfield is going to be a big ask for them. So... It'll be tough for them, but uh, I think we'll have. Um, I, I think we'll prepare ourselves well, like we have been. Even if it's a one-nil game, a tight game, three points is all that matters. I think we should be okay. It might give us an opportunity to see a few other players. Uh, if Minamina plays, that'd be great. Can't wait to see him how he lines up and plays in this team. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting some of our other players back from injury as well. And I think last year, I think the months that we dropped the most amount of points was January, February. So it's trying to get our team right again. I think we had that loss against Man City. Then we had so four draws in the months of January and February. So hopefully Sheffield United isn't one of those and we just carry on plugging away three points. Um, They'll be a very well-organised side. Chris Wilder does get his uh, team well-drilled and they're very tight and they compact the spaces and they and they work hard for one another. But we've got so many match winners with individual pieces of magic that we can, we can pride, prize open most defences. And um, I think we're relentless. We just keep going until we find a little gap in the groove. And there seems to be quite a lot of players on form. And if, um, if one of the front three doesn't get you, the other will... Um, Firmino was a little bit off the ball today, but as we know, the last three or four games, he's been on fire. And so large just before that, and mine has been great all the way through. Um, so I think I think this um, game is going to be a good time for us, and I think we'll do well. Nothing to worry about. Excellent stuff. Um, and just finally, for our final question today, I'm going to go to you, Karen, and I'm just going to ask you, Minamino, 
Actually, I'm going to ask you two questions. Firstly, um, there are a couple of songs he's got already. There's Minamino, Minamino, which is I think is great, uh, simple, effective, could be catchy. And then there's Minamino. Uh, why, why, how could Salzburg let you go, or something like that. Uh, f- so the first question is, which song do you like, Karen? And the second uh, question is, shall we chuck Minamino in against Sheffield United? What would you do? Yeah, so to answer your first question, I think I like the first song. And and also I like the tune of Genie Minamino more. I think this this tune will be will be sung more than than the song, than the first song. Because it's 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 so fun to sing that genie mini mini you know uh, it, it's really fun um, and to answer your question about Minamino playing a game I think um, uh, Klopp is going to give him uh, you know some time to settle in with the team to look at the training sessions uh, uh, to uh, even uh, be on the bench or if not at the bench then be with the squad and travel to the games and watch uh, the way we play. Uh, I think he's already seen it when he's when he played against us, but I think it, it's different when when he joined the team. So I think Klopp is going to give him that time to to settle down, to embrace the the atmosphere, and he might give him a few minutes in the stoppage time to say, do you know, uh, get himself uh, up and running in in a Liverpool shirt. So uh, I'm expecting him to start start a game in probably second week of Jan. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that the first week of Jan would be his noticing period and his uh, training period so that he gets to his fitness levels. Um, and then probably second week of Jan, we, we will see him play. Excellent stuff. We've got so much to look forward to as we head into a new decade. This is beyond our wildest dreams from the start of... 2010 where you know we had financial troubles the 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 comedy geniuses in the press box making light of that fact uh and here we are now on top of the world hoping for a great debut sooner rather than later for minamino uh trent alexander Arnold is just going to rule the next 10 years surely uh and i just want to say thank you very very much to jamie and to Robin and to Karen for joining me today and to revel in it. We can all revel in it together as the lucky ones who support Liverpool Football Club. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And thus, as our spoon scrapes the chocolate mousse off the sides of the bowl of this episode, may I please remind you that Copon is dedicated to you, the gorgeous listener, as you are a member of the Worldwide Liverpool FC family. How lucky you are. You may follow us on Twitter at CopOnPodcast, send us a Trojan virus to CopOnPodcast at gmail.com, support us on Patreon.com forward slash CopOnPodcast for as little as one US dollar per month. Or you could simply tell a friend of yours that loves LFC about CopOn. Whoever you are, wherever you are, I do wish you an extraordinarily happy new year 
2020 could be the best one of your life.